Judges chapter number 7, Judges chapter number 7, I'm having a really difficult time uh, <laughs> seeing tonight, and uh, sometimes, I, sometimes I do that whenever I've laid down to take a nap, only I didn't really lay down to take a nap, but so kind of bear with me as I try to wade through some of this fine print in my in my Bible. This is one of the nights I need one of those giant print Bibles. But well, for the last several weeks we've been taking a little journey through Gideon's Gallery. Is well, that's what I've called it anyway. And uh, considering uh, the way that God used this great man, and uh, we started out by. Thinking about his fearfulness in the very beginning, I mean, here is a man and a people uh, faced with a situation where they, they didn't know what to do. They're scared to death. They're hiding. And every year they're getting their ears beat down. They're losing all of their goods. It, it just reaches the point that it seems like, man, we are absolutely hopeless. Well, as God does so many times, God decided it's time to do something about it, and when he made that decision, he chose a man. And uh, the man's name was Gideon, and he gave him his first assignment. Uh, We talked about that, spent an entire message on his first assignment. And, uh, you know, first things are always important. A lot of times they set the tone for the rest of our life, and we want to make sure that we get off on the the right foot, and uh, and, uh, he did, and... Immediately after that, we saw his faithlessness. I didn't say faithfulness, his faithlessness. In other words, his faith come crashing down around him, so to speak. And you know, I've discovered over the years, just about the time that we think we've got something conquered, and and, and maybe when we start bragging about it, uh, all of a sudden we find ourselves right back where we were before. And uh, so all of a sudden Gideon is finding himself uh, lacking faith. But as God does, God takes care of that. And we saw that last week where the emphasis here in the first eight verses of this chapter was on Gideon's faith. Well, tonight there's a change of scenery and now our attention is turned to Gideon's fight. Gideon's fight. And you know, after God's announcement that He would give Gideon and his army of 300 uh, victory over the Midianites, that's in verse number 7, He arranges for an incident that would provide him with assurance. And so that's where we start tonight, Gideon's assurance from the Lord, beginning in verse number 9. And it came to pass... The same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. And if thou fear to go down, go thou with Pura, thy servant, down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say. And afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. And then he went down with Pura and, and his servant, Unto the outside of the outside of the armed men that were in the host, 
and the Midianites and the Amalekites and all of the children of the east lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come down, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it. And the, the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the, the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. Well, here we see the provision of assurance during a time of need. And uh, as always, God is an expert at this. God always knows what our need is, and He is there to meet us with that need. And uh, notice the army has just been reduced down to 300. No doubt the wheels are turning in Gideon's mind about how are we going to pull this off. I mean, you look down there in the valley, and the enemy is like grasshoppers, and there's so many camels, they can't even count them, and they're thing. We're only 300, only 300 of us in our army. And so God arranges for this event uh, here in, in, in these verses that I just read. Look at verse number 10. It says, If thou, now this is God speaking, uh, to Gideon, if thou fear to go down, wait a minute, there's no if about it. God already knows he does. He knows he's afraid. And, and God says, if, if, if you're afraid to go down, and, and you know, it's really remarkable here that God knows he's afraid, but God doesn't embarrass him in front of anybody else. God's conversing with him, and, and he's giving him assurance. And, and verse 11 says, And then went he down with Pura, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were, that were in the host. So he and his friend, Pura, go down to the rest of the men. And, and here's a reminder that we need one another. Whether there's 300 or 3,000, or 30,000, we need one another. You know, God made us that way. It's not good for man to be alone. We need one another. We think about the establishment of the Lord's church. It was established, why? Well, because we need each other. The different gifts that God has given to each one and, and so forth. And so God gifts us in different ways that working together, working in harmony with the body, that we're able to accomplish the mission that God has given to us. Gideon, you know, he could have said to Pura, he could have said, look, you and I handle this. There's no need in us going down to those other men, you know. Uh, if, if God can give us the victory with 300, God can do it just, just you and I. Uh, but he doesn't do that. Now notice how this message from the Lord comes to Gideon because it's a very unusual way. 
I can almost see them as they are sneaking up, as it were, on the enemy. They're on a spying expedition, I guess. And so as they're going along and they see the enemy and, and uh, the, 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 the battle lines are somewhat drawn, and he overhears a man describing to another man a dream he had. I mean, just use your imagination. You can kind of get the picture. The one says to the one, you know, I had a dream last night. Isn't it strange? They all, everybody always stops right there because they want you to ask, oh, what was it? They don't just keep going, you know. Uh, uh, I had a dream the other night. Well, what, what, what did you dream? I dreamed that this giant... Well, didn't say giant, really, just a barley cake, a cake of barley. This is like a, you know, we think of a loaf of bread. It wasn't a, like a loaf we think of, but a cake of barley comes tumbling down into the middle of the camp and it smites this tent and, 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 uh, what, what, I don't know what it means. And here is another fellow, and we don't even know this guy's name, do we? Unless I missed it, I, I don't think so. This other fellow comes along, and, and uh, he says, oh, yeah, I, I know what that means. Where'd you come from, dude? I mean, he just, you know, how do you know what it means? Gideon didn't, evidently. And so he, he told the man that had the dream, he said, oh, that's the sword of the Lord and Gideon. I mean... Hey, he, some way or another, he has received this information and this man, whoever he is, is confident that, that this is God's way of letting them know that Gideon is going to defeat the enemy. Now, this unusual event teaches us an important lesson, and that is you can't put God in a box or in a mold and uh, and either predict or cause Him to do what you want Him to do. God's His own man, so to speak. And, uh, you know, God doesn't need our permission to act. And about the time we think that we've got God figured out, I've heard preachers say, you know, and in fact, one very famous preacher, I believe it was D.L. Moody, said, I've never known God to use a discouraged man. You know, there's some truth to that. But then I had a I had another preacher friend one time that, and I, I don't, he really got hung up on this because I heard him over and over and over again. He kept making this statement that God never calls a, a, a man into the ministry if he is in any way out of the out of the will of God and uh, so I, I thought immediately well what what about old Jonah he wasn't too anxious to go into the ministry was he and and, and, and this is what I'm saying you know we can we can look and we can see what maybe what God usually does but about the time that we think God has to do it this way, God turns the tables on us and He does it another way. And we're seeing an example of that, uh, of that right here. This is unusual. The same God that enabled Balaam's ass to speak, this same God here is finding a way to get His servant Gideon a message. And the message is, is that you can you can be assured that I'm going to give you the victory in all of this. And let me tell you, it's that blessed assurance that keeps us going in difficult days. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be terrible to, to not have any inkling whatsoever of what the outcome was going to be? 
I'm glad that God gives us assurance. And I'm not just talking about the assurance of going to heaven. You know, that's the most wonderful. We have blessed assurance, as the songwriter said. We don't have to sit around and wonder and doubt whether we're going to heaven when we die. We know with absolute certainty. But there's other other areas of life wherein that we have assurance. And boy, we just make a long list, make a, an entire message out of it. Anytime God gives a promise, and He's given many, He's given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And whenever you have one of those promises, you simply have a means of assurance because God can't lie. And so if God gives a promise and you meet the condition of it, then you have the assurance that God's going to take care of it. For example, there in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things shall be added to you. I, I don't have to worry whether we're going to have food to eat or not. I don't have to worry about that at all. You say, oh yeah, but boy, boy, the church can take care of that. They just cut your salary off. Yeah, but you can't, you can't rob God. You can't take away what God's got. And God gave me a promise. God said, I'm going to take care of you as long as you seek first my kingdom. That's not just true of me. That's true of, of, of all of His children. We have these wonderful promises. The promises that His grace will be sufficient and, you know, regardless of what the need is. And sometimes we reach places where it seems like even God's grace is not going to get us through that. I'll bet every single person here, you've thought about something, you've envisioned something for a parent. Uh, you probably thought about uh, maybe one of your children, oh, what would happen if one of my children died? Boy, when, when, when Jason went to Iraq the first time and the second time and Afghanistan the first time and the second time, naturally you think of that stuff. What if he gets killed over there? And, you know, one of our thoughts is we won't, we've raised eight kids and, and, and we experienced this every time they started learning to drive. It scares the daylights out of you. I was scared to death that they'd drive like I did when I was 16 years old. And, and uh, I thank God I don't think any of them drove that bad, but, uh, but I always wondered about that. And we get to thinking. I, I, I just don't think I could make it through something like that. And, and no doubt whenever your emotions just weigh you down like what, Crystal and Candace is going through even now with the loss of their mother. There are times it's like, how can I, how can I go on? Isn't it wonderful to have assurance from God that, that His grace will be sufficient for you? And so here is Gideon, uh, one minute he's up and one minute he's down. One minute he's got this real strong faith and the next minute, uh, he's full of fear. And God comes along and He gives him this, this wonderful assurance. Now, look at verse number 15. Because immediately after Gideon's assurance from the Lord, we see Gideon's army prepared. And I, and I want you to notice what happens beginning in verse number 15. It says, And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned unto the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies and put a trumpet in every man's hand. 
with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, whenever I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all of the camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Now, I want you to notice the very first thing he did after being assured of getting the victory. He worshipped the Lord. Now, 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 now notice there in verse number 15, the, the very first thing he said, this is his response to God's revelation, his response to, to God's promise that I'm going to get you through this, I'm going to give you victory, and he began to worship the Lord. You know, so many times our response to God's goodness is something that leaves him totally out of the picture. In other words, God blesses us in some way. He does something that's extraordinary. And, and, and while we appreciate it, we get sidetracked by the blessing and more concerned about the blessing than the giver of the blessing. And we need to be mindful of the fact that it is God who... Who is most important. It's not what God does and not what God gives as much as we appreciate that. That's not the most important thing. You know, sometimes we treat God like kids think of Santa Claus, right? And we think of God as this big Santa Claus, just give, 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 give. But God Himself is more important than the gifts that He gives. And we need to be mindful of this, that the, our first response in everything ought to be that we worship the Lord. And, and then notice what happened. Immediately after that, he turns, he turns to his follow, followers and begins to issue instructions. And so this tells us that planning is an, an important part of any endeavor. It's been said, he that fails to plan for the future is planning on failing in the future. And that's true. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, but God promised to give him the victory. I mean, just, you know, just take it by day by day, roll with the punches, just go with the flow and see what happens. The fact that God promises us victory does not mean that we ought not to do any planning or any preparing. And it does not mean that we ought to run ahead. You know, he, he could have said, hey, guys, come on. God promised us the victory. Grab a sword. Here we go. And they run into battle with a sword. I mean, that's the way the mind thinks, you know, sword against sword. I, take a trumpet and a pitcher. I mean, what are you talking about? I mean, this. This this is just plain nutty. Nobody goes to war like this. And so we notice as he is instructing them, and again I want to emphasize the fact, they're willing to follow this guy. As ridiculous as the plan sounds, they are following their leader. It reminds us that faith must not be divorced from wisdom. 
Keep your finger there, but turn over to Ecclesiastes just a moment, chapter 9. And I want to share with you just a short story here that makes my point. Verse 13. This wisdom have I seen also under the sun, and it seemed great unto me. There was a little city, and few men within it. There came a great king against it, and besieged it, and built great bulkwards against it. And now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no man remembered that same poor man. And then said I, wisdom is better than strength, and nevertheless the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. Now, we're not going to camp out there and talk a lot about that, but it makes the point that we must not divorce our faith from wisdom, and we need to have the wisdom to plan and to prepare, and in all of this... Unknown to them, the plan is to confuse the enemy. They're going to attack by night, for one thing. And can you imagine that sudden glare of lights, you know, when they go shouting and the trumpets sound and they're all of a sudden the, the lights flashing and they are screaming and, and automatically the enemy is thinking, oh my, we are surrounded. We're surrounded. Everywhere they look, there's lights and they hear trumpets sounding everywhere. There's only 300 of them out there, but in the mind of the enemy, there must be thousands. We don't stand a chance and they are totally confused. And now let's notice Gideon's attack. And we're not going to read all of these verses. Begin verse number 19. And the key verse is in verse 21. But notice what it says in verse 19. So Gideon... And the hundred men that were with him came into the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hand. And the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and Gideon... Now listen carefully, and they stood every man in his place, round about the camp, and all of the host ran and cried and fled. Now we've already looked at the provision of assurance, the preparation of the army, but now we see the, the pursuit of the adversary here because all of the plans and all of the efforts so far, all of that would have been in vain had they never, had they never went into action. You know, sometimes we make that mistake. We, you know, we plan this ministry and we plan that ministry and, you know, we read all of the books on it and get all the advice that we can and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And we never get out of the planning, uh, planning stages. We never launch the program. We never get it off of the ground. Well, here we see them carrying out the plan and, uh, notice the key. Every man stood in his place. 
You see, that's crucial to the plan. In fact, with the fewer people you have, the more crucial that becomes. You know, if you've got 30,000 and somebody is out of place, maybe someone else can step up and you won't notice it. But when you're talking about 300, you can't leave any gaps in the circle around the enemy. And, and so it says, every man stood in his place. You know, the sad thing is, a lot of play, people never discover their place in the Lord's church. They, they never understand what their particular gifts are. They have no idea what God would have them to do. They're, they're not looking for anything to do. And that, that's, that's the big problem. It's not that we don't have something to do. It's that they don't have a heart to do it. And, 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 you know, they love the church. They support the church financially, maybe, but they just don't want to get involved. And for the church to function properly, every member of the body needs to be in their place. In sports, you call that playing your position. I mean, you've got to do that. A linebacker, if he gets out of position, I mean, he's going to get burnt. I mean, he, he's got to, he's got to stay home. He's got to take care of his area, right? You, you just can't go running all over the field, but just because, oh, I like it over there. There's a little shade from the stadium over there. I'm going to play that side of the field. No, man, you've got to play your position. Same thing's true in the Lord's work. Whatever your position is, we need to get in our place, and that's exactly what's going on. So everything here is depending upon the cooperation of each man. If they gotten out of place, it would have disrupted the entire plan. And because they were faithful, and because they're following the plan precisely, with, without any hesitation whatsoever, Gideon said, notice, he said, whatever I do, you do. When I break the pitcher, when I sound the trumpet, whatever I do, that's what I want you to do. It would be a good thing if all of those of us in leadership could, you know, say that and, and, and really be honest about it and set the right kind of an example. I often think about the Apostle Paul and the things that he said, and he literally, even though he said, I'm the least of all of the apostles, I'm the chief of sinners, Paul knew that he had surrendered his his heart entirely to the Lord, and he could set himself forth as an example for others to follow. And every parent needs to do that. Every pastor needs to do that. We all need to be that godly example. So Gideon is saying, you do whatever I do, and and there can't be any hesitation. So notice, they broke their pitcher, they hoisted their lamps in the air, they blew the trumpet, And they shouted the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And the enemy's army is so confused. Remember, they've been sleeping. It's nighttime. And all of a sudden they wake up and they think they're surrounded. They don't know who is who. And they start fighting with each other. They're they're fighting against their own army. And can you imagine someone come out of a tent with a big old sword and he cuts some guy's head off and it, you know, you know, hey, that, that, that was, that was one of your soldiers. And God has a way of confusing the enemy. Well, whenever they discovered what had happened, they fled naturally because finally they wake up to the fact, wait a minute, we've been had. This is a trick. And they're scared to death, and they start running. And the important thing, if you look on down through verse 23, 24, and 25, 
Gideon is hard on their heels. Gideon is in pursuit. You know, he understood this is no time to quit, no time to give up. He could have said, hey, good job, fellas. Come on, let's all go home and celebrate. We'll have a Texas barbecue or, you know, whatever. Let's just stay here and enjoy the spoils of war. He could have done that. But had he done that, it would have given the army, the other army, the enemy, time to, to regroup. And you know, a lot of times we fail because we don't finish what we start. I can remember years ago and over the years, and I always, I always like it whenever somebody says, you know, I, I, God just laid it on my heart to be a Sunday school teacher. And I remember someone years ago back in Missouri, and they kept saying that, do you have a class open yet? Do you have a class open yet? And I said, no, but I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll give you a space. I'll give you a room, and we, we will assign a certain age group or whatever. If you'll promise me that you'll get out here, you know, every Saturday and visit and work and go out and build up, you can have a class. You know, it's real easy to start a project, you know, want to do something, but it's another thing when it comes to carrying through with it. And Gideon understands the job is not done. This battle is not over. And so he takes off after them. And and you'll notice in these verses, verse 23, 24, and 25, that he's joined by men. There's and Asher, and Manasseh. And uh, they all join him. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing whenever other people see that God is in what you're doing and they want to be a part of it. And that's what's going on. So they have joined with him. And the messengers that were sent to Ephraim and requesting, listen what he says, the waters unto Bethbara and, and Jordan. That's evidently referring to the need for guarding the fords, uh, and, and they were successful because if you read on, they killed two of the Midianite uh, princes. And so the, the plan was successful. I mean, they, they, they knew where the enemy was going. They are going to cross the river and the fords, the shallow water where they get across. And so the idea is get there, you know, before they do, be ready to do battle with them and engage them in battle and t- kill two of, their, two of their main leaders. Well, in all of this, and I'm going to wrap it up, in all of this we see not a, not a picture of Gideon's brilliance, not a picture of Israel's mighty power, but in all of this we see a picture of God's greatness and God's ability to help us in a time of need. And we all have our times of need, don't we? If not today, it'll be tomorrow. Man that is born of a woman is a few days in full of trouble. And we are a needy people. As I've said so often, to live the Christian life takes a miracle. As I said this morning, we're not the change agent. The Spirit of God is. It's not what we do, it's what He does through us. I love that old song, little is much when God is in it. Amen. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. And 
Look, God's not looking for great people or famous people or rich people or intelligent people. God's just looking for people. And God can use you. And God can meet your need. And God can use you to meet a need. That's what this is all about. Right? God's using Gideon to do what? To meet a need in delivering His people from the Midianites. And God, believe it or not, God wants to use you to meet the need in other people's lives. I I wish I could convince everybody of that fact, that God has a place for you. God wants to use you right where you are. I I was thinking this week, and uh, well, I, I, I don't know if I'll do it. I probably won't now that I'm talking about it. But I, I thought, you know, it might be a good illustration if I just started asking folks that are over a certain age to stand up and, and then raise it ten years and raise it ten years and, and, and then look around and, and see how many that are left that, let's say, are uh, under 25 years old. And then try to impress upon them, and I was thinking of all of this in the context of what I said this morning. I'm concerned about the state of the church while I'm alive, but there's almost a sense that I'm almost more concerned about what happens to it after I'm dead and gone. Because I realize that what, what I do and what we do now is going to have a tremendous effect on what happens to the church, you know, Five years, ten years, twenty years down the road. And, and, and those of you that are younger folks, let me tell you, twenty years down the road, most of the rest of us are going to be dead and gone. Whether you like that or not, maybe you're thinking, no, not me. I'm going to live to be a hundred. Yeah, we'll see. If you do, if you do, you, you won't be able to do much, but, uh, <laughs> Amen. And I want, I want to challenge you, young people. I want you to start thinking right now. And, and in my little plan of things, I was going to come back and get some of you by the shoulder and make you stand up and, and address you personally. Maybe I'll do that right now. Who do I go to first? <laughs> I, I just want you young folks to understand that God has a place for you and God wants to use you and, and, and God wants to use you to meet the needs of others. And that's what life is all about. That's what's happening here in Gideon's life. They're being defeated by the enemy. And let me tell you, you have family and friends that are being defeated. They're taken captive by the devil at his will. They're headed for a devil's hell. And if you don't help them, nobody else will. That ought to be your challenge, and that ought to be the desire of your heart. Dear God, such as it is, here I am. Use me in any way you please. Just take my life and use me to bring glory and honor to your name. Boy, God is so good and so great. And I'm sure that Gideon, well, the story's not over. We're going to... Continue on next week, but uh, it sure made an impact on a lot of people when they saw what God is able to do in giving them the victory. Let's all stand together. Father, we thank you tonight for 
for your word and for the truth of it and the manner in which it it builds up our faith. And we know that these these stories that have been recorded in the Old Testament all of those many years ago were recorded there for our learning and our admonition that we through the comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And Lord, there are folks here tonight that we all need hope. And I just pray tonight that we might be strengthened and encouraged as we leave this place knowing that we'll never have a need that you can't meet. And help us to stand up to the challenge and trust you for the victory and to not quit the fight. Use us any way you want, however you please, that in the end, the the bottom line might be that others will be impressed with your greatness and that you'll be glorified by it in Jesus' name. While we stand.